Okay, our text comes from Romans 13, verses 8 through 14. You can follow along in your bulletins. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we know that you have something for us in your word at all times, and this morning we pray that you would work through Pastor Andrew and his preparations to bring us your grace and your mercy and your gospel, that we would glean from it, that we would grow, we would be convicted, yet we would also be humbled by the beauty in Christ. Thank you for this time and for your servant, Andrew. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. What a great day to open God's Word. If you notice in your bulletin, this is one of the downfalls of uh, multiple services. I get to baptize my granddaughter at the 1130 service. So if you see Josiah Morgan, certainly uh, congratulate them and uh, encourage them as they start this journey of raising a little girl. Um, I wonder if you can identify this character from literature. How many people think you can do it? It's a far, far better thing than I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. Anybody got it? Oh, yes. The, uh, so Sidney Carton, uh, the Charles Dickens character who was in love with Lucy Manette, uh, Lucy, of course, didn't return her affections. Uh, she married Charles Darnay, who uh, was a, a French nobleman, but had sort of put that off. Uh, the interesting thing was that Sidney looked a lot like Charles, uh, actually was a lawyer helping to get him uh, freed from some various things, so their lives were intertwined. And then uh, towards the end of the story, of course, Charles is in France during the Revolution, and because he was uh, formerly a noble, he's convicted, and he is uh, sentenced to, to death, but Sidney is able to find his way into the jail cell and is able to render uh, Darnay unconscious, get him out along with Lucy uh, and their aging father, and Sidney takes his place. Uh, Sidney takes his place because of his love for, for Lucy and, and her, his desire for her happiness. 
and he hangs uh, or goes to the guillotine uh, in the place of Charles Darnay. Thinking about this, of course, with love. Uh, that is the, the theme that we have here. And not just love, but sacrificial love. You remember, we're connected to Romans 12, where we've been, uh, living our lives as, as living sacrifices, as a result of what Christ has done for this, in view, uh, done for us. In view of Christ's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then he's been expounding on this in a number of different ways. Do not not think more highly of yourselves than you ought to, uh, to not harbor vengeance, to allow the government to lead us into this. And, and then he continues on, oh, no man, anything except this ongoing debt of love. And so we, we step into this and we say, okay, what does that look like in our life? We're certainly not characters in a Dickens novel, uh, but, but we have our own places, we have our own ways that we walk in which we offer ourselves uh, lovingly. And notice a couple of things about this passage, we'll, we'll go with three, uh, that there is a time to pay this ongoing debt, uh, and, and we have the riches of Christ with which to pay it. Verse 11, Paul says, uh, he says, besides this, you know the time, the hour for which you come to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So besides this, the fact that we have the commandment, the fact that Christ has set us free from the law, like we have been talking about, or like Paul was talking about back throughout the first 11 chapters of Romans, besides this, uh, it, it is the time. I mean, the time is fruitful. The time is pregnant with possibility for you to really live out this, this call to love. The word time there, there's two different Greek words for time. There's chronos, which is more chronological, has to do with the hours of the day, that type of time. And then there's uh, kairos, which is the word that's here, which is a fitting time, opportunity, season. It's, it's the right season. It's the right time for us to uh, engage in this. And, and what Paul is saying here is what he has been saying in view of Christ's mercy, in view of everything that he has done, the fact that he lived, the fact that he died, the fact that he rose again. Because of that, we are living in very fertile times. We are living in these times that are just bursting forth with the potentialities of love. Uh, it is the time for us. Now again, you know, Paul is writing to a, a small group probably of Roman Christians. They're, they're gathered from household to household throughout the city. Uh, they're gathered probably at night, probably furtively, maybe down in the catacombs because uh, Christianity is not recognized at this point. We have things like the arenas and the coliseums and all of these different things. So it is not necessarily a, the type of time that we would say is fertile, but Paul is saying, despite what you see on the outside, because Jesus has risen from the dead, it is the fitting time, the fitting opportunity, the fitting season for us to, to carry out the love that Christ has put in our hearts. 
And I, I think about that with, with our own situation. Again, we, we feel put upon on various sides, whether it is with the political processes that we are going through and how, that's, uh, uh, how that is impacting us, or whether it is living in this post-Christian, secularized society where the values that, that you or I may hold as a Christian are not, are, are not thought of to be values at all. They're, they're diminished and demeaned, and uh, we don't necessarily feel that it's the time, but Paul is saying it's the time. Don't waste it. I I recently came across uh, um, uh, an interview with David Crosby, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I know I'm speaking to a specific generation here, uh, the birds. Uh, This is not my generation. This is uh, probably the generation before me. But uh, he's 79 years old right now. He was born in 41. And, and here is what he says about time. He says, we don't have anywhere near enough time. I didn't start figuring out who I was until I was in my 50s. And here I am just now having finally adjusted my life, 79 years old, to where I'm happy most of the time, and now I'm going to die. You know, it's very tough. I've got a dozen things that I still want to learn. There's like three languages, two sections of history, and at least five sciences. And I've got a wish list of places that I want to see, experiences that I want to have. The problem is I don't have any time. And it's worse than that. I've wasted years of time that I could now have to use if I hadn't wasted them. What Paul is saying here is don't waste the time. We've we've been given this opportunity here and now to show forth the love of Christ. Uh, And whatever our situation is, uh, don't waste the time because pretty soon you're going to be at a a stage in life where you're going to realize that there is no more time. And and I think this is really applicable to, to certainly young people. Uh, it's so hard to see that. We just don't count time. Do you notice I just put myself in the young people category? Uh, we just don't count time, and you know, we're not thinking about that. But, but also, uh, I think for folks who are further along the journey, maybe with Brother Crosby, there is still an opportunity. Uh, you're, you're not done. You're not done until the Lord takes you home. And so Paul says, make use of the time. Uh, Why? Because we have this ongoing debt. Uh, Romans 8, such a a lovely verse and certainly one that is fairly well known. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Notice that there is a direct connection to verse 7. Last week we actually read verse 8 along with verse 7 because in the original letter there's not that little space and heading there that says fulfilling the law through love. Uh, Pay to all what is owed to them. So there's that same word, right? Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed, owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. A couple of things here that I want to highlight when we think about this ongoing debt. The first is uh, that that this idea of, of loving one's neighbor, 
uh, as Paul goes on then to talk about and is fulfilled in the second table of the, of the law, the Ten Commandments. We talk about the first four commandments as being our love towards God, uh, the last six commandments being the second table of the law, our love towards our fellow man. Uh, this was something that was very prominent in, in Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was here uh, walking among us, he, he talked about loving our neighbors in, in so many different ways. He, he talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is, is filled with, both in the Matthew version of it as well as in the Luke version of it, is filled with the call and the, the command to love one another. Luke chapter 10 uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, this is, you know, what Jesus said sums up the law to, to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then you remember the, the young lawyer seeking to justify himself says, who is my neighbor? Uh, and, and, and Jesus goes on then to say there was this guy, uh, he was walking by the side of the road, a, a Jew, and, and he was set upon and he was beat and, and there was a Levite and there was a priest that passed by and they didn't help them. But then there was this Samaritan who came, Samaritan, somebody who was at enmity with Jews, they, they did not honor, they did not respect one another, uh, to use Paul's words in verse 7 here. But this is the one who stopped, and this is the one who was the neighbor to this man. And the call was to, to exhibit that kind of neighbor love. So not just with people that we agree with, not just with people who are like us, not just to people who belong to our tribe, but to exhibit this kind of neighbor love. Paul uses the, the words here, oh, no one anything. It's actually in the Greek, it's like a double negative, you know, don't owe nothing. Uh, there, there's a, it's, it's, it's a very emphatic use of that. Like everybody that we meet, uh, we are to exhibit love to. And again, let I me mean, put it back in context. Paul said with our enemies back in 12, you know, we are not to take vengeance. So it's very much in line with Jesus' teaching here. Even if this person is not in your tribe, even if you are uh, at enmity with them for some reason, we are to offer them honor, respect, and love. Uh, this is what then fulfills the law. Lots of examples of this. I, I was thinking recently, you know, during our our COVID pandemic, one, uh, one example of the type of neighbor love that, that Jesus calls for, that Paul is exhorting to us, uh, is a priest, uh, Don Giuseppe Berardelli, 47 years a priest serving the, uh, in Casigno in the Diocese of Bergamo in northern Italy. I can hardly say all those words, uh, but it was one of the areas early on in the, in the pandemic that was hit hard. Um, he had been suffering from a respiratory condition for some time, so his parish had, had previously purchased for him a, a breathing apparatus, a, some sort of portable ventilator to help him cope with this. Well, as you know, in the early days of the pandemic, ventilators were hard to come by. 
and there was somebody in his parish, a younger person, uh, who contracted COVID and would only uh, survive with the use of the ventilator, but there were no ventilators available. So, so this priest gave his ventilator to this young person. Uh, that person survived, but he also contracted COVID, the priest did, uh, and he was not able to survive. His sacrifice uh, enabled the life of another. And this is the type of thing that we see when we realize the call that is on us to, to love one another. Sometimes it means paying sort of the ultimate price that we would talk about as humans in terms of our, our very lives, laying down our life for another. And then notice what Paul says here, that this type of neighbor love is actually the fulfillment of the law. Uh, he goes on in, in verses 9 and 10 to say that you know the commandments, uh, not commit adultery. He goes to the second table of the law, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Uh, and any other commandments. So he's giving some examples there. He's not highlighting those in any uh, specific way other than they are neighbor love commandments. Um, they are summed up, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22, other places. Uh, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It's an interesting statement for us because we, we oftentimes in the New Testament, as we stand as New Testament Christians, we, we sometimes formulate that love and law are opposite of each other, that, that love is, is somehow higher than, uh, than law. And so you see this just in a way that we, we think oftentimes, like, well, we can't tell people what is right and what is wrong. We can't make laws for people. We just have to love people. We just have to, you know, we throw in the word acceptance, accept people uh, for what they are. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying love and law are in, uh, inextricably linked. Uh, that, that love fulfills the law. And, of course, this is what Jesus says, you know, again, Sermon on the Mount area. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, which is what Paul is picking up on here. Paul in other places, First uh, Timothy chapter 1, he said, for we know that the law is good uh, as long as we use it lawfully. It can't do what, what Christ has done, it can't save us, you know, the law can't save us, but the law is good. The law, as we mentioned last week, comes out of the, the perfect heart of God. I mean, God is the perfect lawgiver, and so everything that he laid out in the Old Testament for, for Israel, as it flows forward into our lives, the, these laws are good. They give us the shape of our lives. Governments are instituted in order to, uh, to follow those laws, and that's where we'll find shalom. But Jesus is the one that fulfills it. And so, therefore, we are to notice the laws and then walk in Jesus' path to fulfill, live out to the best of our ability the way that we can. And notice that Paul puts it here in terms of the Ten Commandments later on. 
In verses 12 and 13, he says very explicitly, there are things that we, we need to cast off, uh, we need to put them off, uh, not in, we need to put off things like orgies, uh, other translations have that there, carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, strife and jealousy would be another way to translate that. Paul is saying there, there is a boundary to your life. There are things that you are to do and to not do, and these things are for your good. It's interesting, those verses in, in 12 to 13, uh, the, the things that they lay out there, they are all ways in which we really escape. Uh, we escape the living in the moment. We escape the call to love one another. Uh, we, uh, whether it is drink or whether it is fantasy or whether it is um, anger, uh, these are all ways that we really escape in the moment, failing to live and to love one another. And Paul says we have to put these things off. This is very familiar language uh, in the New Testament. See it in Colossians 3, put on compassion, kindness, all of those things, put off all of the, the various deeds of the flesh of which these are examples. We see it in Galatians 5, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, the fruits of wickedness, uh, very similar type of list. And, and Paul says in Titus, he says, this is not just legalism, because he says in, in Titus 2, 11 and 12, he said, it is the grace of God that has appeared to all men that trains us to renounce ungodliness and wickedness. So again, we, we often want to pit love and law. We often want to say, you know, now that we are on the New Testament side, we, we can just love, embrace, accept all people and all deeds. But, but Paul is actually saying, no, it is because the grace of God has come and has appeared that we can actually push into the type of life, the shape that God has given us that really enables us to love our neighbor and to love ourselves as well. But this is really hard. <laughs> uh, this is really difficult. And I think, you know, when we hear the, the call, oh, no man, anything except to love, to, to renounce this godliness, to, put the, to cast off the deeds of darkness, to walk properly in the light, loving one another, who, who is sufficient for these things? Who can actually do that? And the reality is, uh, there is no one who can do that save the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look back at that reading from Isaiah 59 that we did, the Old Testament reading at the very beginning, you see the exact problem. Uh, there was no justice. There was no man who could fulfill the law, and he wondered, God wondered, that there was no one to step forward. And then it says, his own arm 
wrought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for a clothing and wrapped himself in it as a cloak. You see, what Paul is referring to here as he moves us from this call to love all, to do no wrong to a neighbor, to walk properly in the daytime, what he moves us to is an understanding that we are incapable of doing this on our own. We, we, have, we can try, we can make ourselves lists, we can follow these lists as, as best we can, but I think you all have lived long enough to know that you cannot do it perfectly. We are exactly in the situation that the Israelites found themselves in, that God found the Israelites in when he looked at them and he said, who is the one who is going to do this? Who's, who's going to do it? And there's no one, there's no, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no child that can step forward and say, I have done this perfectly. So God says, I will do it. I will do it. And he clothed himself in human flesh and he came and he, and he entered into our world. He became sin. He became the, the missing of the mark. Uh, he became the filth, the degradation that is the type of life that uh, is wrapped in darkness that we hear here, the orgies, the carousing, the drunkenness, uh, the immorality, the strife, the dissension, all of that. Christ became that in order that he might become our salvation. And then notice what Paul says. So, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And, and then he expounds on that in verse 14, and he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no desire, uh, make no uh, provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Do you see what Paul is saying? Paul is saying is, you can't do this. The call is high, you're going to fall short. But... You can put on the armor of light, that is to say, you can put on Jesus Christ. You can put him on. He is the one who can take us safely through. He is the one who can pay this debt that you owe, this ongoing debt that you do not have resources in and of yourself to pay, Jesus is the one who has the infinite resources, who has infinitely paid this debt. Put on this armor of light, the Lord Jesus Christ. Every time that Paul, whether it be here in Ephesians 6, when he's talking about putting on the armor of God, he is not saying, Okay, you know, sort of grit yourself for the battle, go out and in your faithfulness, uh, you know, use that as a shield. In, in your righteousness, use that as a sword. He, he's not saying that. He's saying there is one who is the armor. There is one who is the light. Put on 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Admit your absolute need to Him. Find yourself on your knees. Find yourself uh, living into His righteousness. And then that is the thing that flows from us as we go day by day walking in the deeds uh, of the light in the midst of the darkness. Brothers and sisters, I... I, I always get to this point, and, and I just know that we need the Spirit to help us to impress these things on us. Our tendency is to want to go to a passage like this and say, okay, here's the list. How am I doing? Uh, you know, did I check this off? You know, okay, no, no stealing. Yeah, I can't remember anything. Check. Uh, no killing. Check. You know. Uh, our tendency is to want to do this. No carousing the last week. But the reality is, is that that is not what is being called for. What is being called for is to find ourselves in Christ. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to His cross I cling. Now, the impetus then flowing out of that is to love. And as, as we love, we, we will find ourselves walking away from these other things, casting them off, putting them off. But it is because of what Christ has done for us, it's because of the beauty growing inside of us that is pushing away all of these other things. We can never get the order wrong, or right. Yeah, wrong, wrong, right. We, we've got to get it. We've got to get the order right. Uh, we don't cast off these things in order to earn Christ. We, we, we find ourselves putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then as a result, we will cast off, we will find ourselves walking in the light. I've given you two sort of uh, examples, both of which people die. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have Sidney Carton who gave his life for Lucy and Charles. We have uh, the priest who, who gave his life for the young man. The reality is we do die always when we follow the Lord Jesus, but we die in different ways. I have a friend, Charity, she, uh, she and her husband, Stephen, work with Surge um, in, in London. They, they have a, a, a counseling ministry there. Uh, Charity is, a, is an Arabic speaker, so she um, is active in the Muslim community um, doing some counseling, gets to know people. One day she was out running. It was a gray January day in, in London. Uh, she was clothed for the day, uh, had her headphones in, 30 minutes into the run, just really focused, trying not to get hit by the busy London traffic, uh, when a, a fully covered head-to-toe Muslim Nigerian woman uh, stopped her he recognized her from her kid's school and wanted to talk to her, ask her some questions. So you die a little, right? When you're in a run and you get stopped, you, you die a little because you're focused on your task. You die a little when it's freezing cold in January and you're out there talking to this person. But she also knew that she had an obligation to love her. 
she had an obligation to uh, interact with this woman. So she began to ask questions. She learned that she loves England in January simply because she gets to be there on holiday with no responsibilities for any children, food, cooking, except maybe helping her ailing mother-in-law in medical appointments. She learned that she was one of many wives because her husband believes she has a right to multiple wives as a Muslim. I learned that uh, she believes that this creates jealousy and instability in the family, but she's really powerless to do anything about it. I learned that she believes your children are not just for you, that they are to be shared by everybody, and also they are everybody's responsibility to care for, and thus she has to care for her own children and all the other children of the other wives. Uh, I learned that she felt free the last two weeks she had been in England, free to be alone, free to wander, free to smile. I learned that she struggles to understand white British culture and what people are saying beneath the words uh, that they are speaking. I learned that she thought all Americans are fat and wondered if I was from a different tribe because she couldn't understand how I could be American. I learned that she had never been to Ikea and was eager to see this place uh, that people spoke about where you could buy. I learned that she studied engineering and try it out and have a meatball to boot. Uh, I learned that she studied engineering and that a twinkle came to her eye when she was talking about that subject. And Charity said, I I didn't know what I was supposed to do in that moment. And and so I reflected back to her the things that I was experiencing and that I heard in her. I reflected back to her how I saw her, how Christ saw her. Jesus showed me a woman that he had made with value and dignity. I told her she was overflowing with joy right now. I told her that the beauty in her smile made me want to smile. I told her that her experience and clear interest in engineering was infectious and made me want to learn from her about it, even though I have no gifts or understanding or a mind for engineering. I told her that I was fascinated by her ability to enjoy life in England in January when it's cold and dark and gray. I told her that she had a boldness inside of her and that reached her out to move her relationally towards others, even managing to stop me mid-run with headphones in to have a conversation for 30 minutes on a street corner. I told her that she was beautiful, and I told her that she had the spark of God within her. And then she says this, Charity does, if I can boil down my client sessions to one line, if I can offer one piece of hospitality at my kids' birthday parties, if I can lift up one prayer to our father with a hurting friend, if I can order our parenting choices and raise my kids to believe one thing, it is this, that all people are created with value, beauty, and dignity. Uh, He made you with value, beauty, dignity. He made you with immense worth, and to hold those things together, reframing ourselves to see our worth, value, dignity, because of what He has made and what He has redeemed, that is what it means to love somebody else. The thing I like about Charity's story is that it's just such an ordinary, cold, dark, gray day. We know about those days. You can be in the middle of whatever you want to do. And while you might not be asked to lay down your very life, you are asked to lay down what you are doing right then, right there, to die a little so that someone else can have that love. 
Whether it's a birthday party or the carpool line, whether it's in your office or your neighborhood, whether it is with your spouse or your child, we have the opportunity because of what Christ has done, because we put on the Lord Jesus Christ and the armor of light to love another. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for everything that it means for our life. We thank you for the promise uh, that it gives us, uh, that you are continuing to be at work uh, and, and uh, continuing to be vital in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we pray that you would help us to, uh, to show forth this vitality one with another. We ask that you would uh, strengthen us, May we not look at all of our failures, uh, but may we rather look at the, the finished work that you have given to us on the cross. Father, we pray for the ministry of this church, for just as you spoke to the uh, Christian community at Rome, you are speaking to us as a community. You are calling us as a community, as brothers and sisters, to put on Christ, and we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to put away things like strife and dissension. Uh, help us to focus on the one true, living, beautiful God. Help us to see one another uh, as created by Him with value and dignity and worth. And help us to celebrate that in all that we meet. Father, we pray that you would help us to be faithful in all the areas that you lead us. So we bring our tithes and offerings before you, Lord. We pray that you would uh, give us wisdom to use those aright. Father, we thank you uh, for the ministry that you continue to give us in Grand Rapids. We ask that we would be faithful there and to the ends of the earth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.